So, picture the scene. You've had an amazing two-week summer holiday. It's been to the place you love the best. The weather has been superb every day. Yeah, even in the UK. Every day. You've done all the things you love. Nothing went wrong. You were with your family and you all got on for the whole two weeks. Okay, I'm stretching it a bit here, but you know what? (laughs) You've had the most amazing time. And you know it's a time you'll look back on and you will love and you will enjoy and you'll talk about it for years to come. It was that good. But it's now Sunday night at the end of that holiday. And tomorrow morning, you're back to work. How do you feel? For many, that is not a great feeling. For many, what one person once during an interview said to me, you know, the Sunday evening when the dread kicks in, he said, you don't want to feel like that. But actually, sometimes we do. What about if you've got a difficult boss to go back to? Or some difficult circumstances? Or a challenging colleague? Maybe you're the difficult boss and you're going back and you know people are going to give you some hassle. It's tough. It's hard. Sunday nights often feel like that for many people. So this morning as we continue our series on go to work, on taking the gospel with us to work, we're looking at our attitude to work. How do we get our attitude right to work? How do we make sure that we're going in, not just after the holidays, but every week with the right attitude? What does the Bible say about our attitude to work? So to begin with, turn with me to 1 Timothy in the New Testament, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We're going to jump through a few bits of the Bible this morning to look at this. And it's going to be very practical today, okay? It is going to be a very practical look at our attitude to work. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants. Now my version I use says bondservants. Many versions say slaves here. Okay. So let all who are under a yoke of slavery regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are all believers and beloved. Now, I need to spend a few minutes explaining this passage as to why I'm using this when it talks about slaves. You see, we need to know that there's justification for using this passage on slavery for us as work. Now, many of you will go, yeah, my work feels like slavery. But actually, let me explain. 
the workers of the Roman Empire were slaves to their Roman masters. And for many in Paul's time, work was literally slavery. They were bought into slavery. And there were a lot of slaves. The theologian William Barclay estimates that there were over 60 million slaves in the Roman workforce. Of course, in recent times, there's been a lot of talk about slavery. Um, Some of you might have seen the film Amazing Grace about William Wilberforce, the Christian politician who campaigned for over two decades for the abolition of slavery from this country and, as it was at the time, the British Empire. And then, a couple of years ago, there were the bicentennial celebrations of the abolition of slavery. And you may have heard at that time some dreadful stories about slavery, about the capture and subjugation of African men. A terrible, terrible thing. But those are the things that come to mind when we talk about slavery. And, of course, now when we talk about modern slavery, it's not eradicated in terms of that kind of slavery. But that's what comes to mind when we read this verse, probably, for many of us. But slavery in Paul's time was very, very different from this. Admittedly, there were many slaves who had a terrible time and suffered and were mistreated. But it wouldn't be stretching things too far to say there were probably more similarities with with what Paul's talking about in terms of slavery, more similarities with with what we would talk about as work now. Let me give you some examples as to why that is. Slavery in the Bible was not based exclusively on race, on nationality, or the colour of skin like we saw in Britain all those years ago. Actually, slavery was more of a social status at that time, more of a class. People would often sell themselves into slavery for all sorts of reasons. They couldn't um, pay their debts or provide for their family. Okay, I have a debt, it's called a mortgage. I have to go to work to pay it. There were some prisoner slaves but not all of them were in that position. And it wasn't just the poor that were in slavery in those times. In New Testament times, sometimes doctors, lawyers, even politicians were slaves of someone else. Some people chose it as a route to a slightly, in some cases, easier life in that everything was provided for if you had a good master. So, Although it's true to say slaves were the property of their masters, in practice, this didn't stop many of them from experiencing, at that time, a good deal of freedom. Many earned a living and worked in partnership with their owners. Some held positions of authority within business or lower levels of government. And it wasn't unusual for a slave to receive a good education. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying with this. I'm not justifying slavery. But what I want you to see is when we look at the New Testament, it's not as simple as we would imagine it to be now. So when the New Testament writers were addressing slaves, they weren't necessarily addressing some poor, downtrodden race of people, but rather a very large and influential crowd who were the workforce of the Roman Empire. A group not unlike the modern-day workforce now, in many ways. 
So I think we can legitimately apply this verse to us today in that we are to treat those who are over us in the workplace well so that the word of God, the teaching of God is not reviled. We'll come back to that passage as we go through. Let's look at another passage as well as we build a picture here of our attitude to work. Daniel, the book of Daniel, back into the Old Testament now. The book of Daniel, chapter 1, and the first seven verses of that says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. He treated very well. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So Daniel and his friends had been taken into slavery, although they were being treated very well. Good food, good wine. And they were made into or put to work in what we would probably call now the civil service. Then Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and no one could interpret it. So he decided because his officials couldn't interpret the dream, he'll kill them all because that's the kind of guy he was. Hopefully none of you have an employer like that. Now that included Daniel, all to be killed because none of them could interpret the dream. But to cut a long story short, Daniel found out about this. He made his way into the king's palace and interpreted the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And in Daniel 2.48, it says, Then the king gave Daniel high honours and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel worked hard. He served Nebuchadnezzar. He did his best, even though he'd been taken into exile and put to work in a foreign country. It wasn't his choice. But his attitude was outstanding. He did what Paul is exhorting us to do in Timothy. And because of what Daniel did, you see that in Daniel 2.47, the king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. As a result of what Daniel did and his attitude and the way he served him, Nebuchadnezzar actually worships God. That's what he's doing there. He may not even realize that's what he's doing. But God's fame increases and Nebuchadnezzar's attitude to God changes because of Daniel. 
Now, for those of you who don't know what comes next in the story, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't stay worshipping God. What he does is he builds himself a big golden statue of himself and says, everybody bow down and worship this statue of me. I've never had a boss quite like that either. Um, But that's what he did. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's friends, it doesn't say here what happens with Daniel. We assume he wouldn't worship the statue, but it, it doesn't say. But Daniel's friends refuse to worship the golden statue and end up being dropped into a fiery furnace. But they survive with God's protection. And this is what happens as a result. Daniel chapter 3, verses 28 to 30. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. He's a guy of extremes, this Nebuchadnezzar, isn't he? For there's no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So, what about us? What can we learn from this so that we can be honouring to our bosses, the companies we work for, and make sure that the name of God is not reviled? So firstly, It's really, really easy to have a good attitude to work when what you're doing is going well and you're enjoying it. So when I was about 11, maybe 12, I had a dream. Not a literal dream, but a dream of the future. I wanted to be a weatherman. That is, it's not funny. It is quite funny. I wanted to be a weatherman. I'd seen them predicting the weather, and I thought, I can do that. I loved clouds. I took pictures of clouds. All my my albums at that point, when I took photos, were all pictures of clouds. I had a little weather gauge in the garden. I wanted to be a weatherman. To cut a long story short, another long story short. Hey? (laughs) I made it to the Met Office. So in 1988, September 88, I started work at the meteorological office. I'd made it. I didn't actually become a weatherman, um, but I ended up working there. It was my dream job. I was in the climate research branch. It was amazing. I loved it. I worked hard. It was easy. I had very few responsibilities. It was just brilliant. I loved my job. Going to work every day was an absolute joy. I worked with lovely people. I had a great boss. As I said, carried very little responsibility. Just superb. Now, it didn't all go well. So this was the late 80s, early 90s, and the government of the day had put a pay freeze on the civil service. Wow, that that caused grumbling. It caused a bad atmosphere. 
And it was so easy. Here's a job I love doing, but so easy to get caught up in grumbling because we weren't getting an extra one or two percent each year. Now, okay, that may have been unfair, but it was so easy to get caught up in the grumbling, even in doing a job I really enjoyed. How is our attitude to our workplace? It's so easy to get caught up into the wrong things. I was grumbling against the government who were effectively my bosses. How's your attitude towards your boss? Are you glorifying God? But what about when you're then asked to do something that you think, well, I shouldn't be doing this? Like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in that story in Daniel. What do you do at that point? That puts us in a difficult position. How do you honour your boss when he's asking you to do something you know is wrong? When I left the Met Office, I moved into IT. had various jobs doing that. And it was in one of those jobs that I was asked to specifically lie to a customer. They wanted me to tell the customer they were getting brand new kit when it was actually second user kit because they'd made bigger profit on it. So I was asked to tell this customer that this was brand new kit. Now, this was a company where if your face didn't fit, you would be pushed out. It's what we would now call bullying. It wasn't called that then. It's just face didn't fit, so you were kind of pushed out. And I saw it happen to a number of people in that company. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? Pam was at home with children at the time. This was our sole income. I've been asked to lie. I said, no, I'm not going to lie. Because actually, I believe that is more honouring to the boss than lying. Because as Rob illustrated the other week, if you start lying to your boss, how do they know they can then trust you? Although I didn't say that to my boss. That was a much better answer that Rob had. I just said, no. (laughs) What they actually did was found someone else to lie to the customer instead. So the problem wasn't solved, but my conscience was clear. When it came time to leave that company, one of my colleagues said to me on my last day, to pity you're leaving, you're the only one with any integrity here. Now, at that point, I wasn't sharing the gospel, although I did in that company. I once sent an email to every employee inviting them to Alpha. That was a coward's way of just send it to all, Um, although two of them came on Alpha. So there was fruit from that, but actually it was the attitude, it was the decisions that were being made that has a massive effect in your workplace. It has a huge effect. You stand with integrity, you have a clear conscience, but actually it has a massive impact. And um, even without... um, you know, saying to people, Jesus loves you. Actually, what you're showing is something different. And when you do then share the gospel, it has a greater impact because people understand who you are and what you're about. We make a different right when we make the right decisions and we treat people the right way. If you are Christ-like in your workplace, then you can't, you can't hide that. People will see it and they will take notice of it, and they will think something different there. I then gave up my IT career to work for a church, not this church, another church. But I'm not going to say much about that this morning because that's not relevant for a lot of people here. Um, I did that for five years. 
and then it all ended. And I'm not going to go into that bit either. <laughs> not today. Um, so I had to go back into the normal workplace. Notice I say had to. I've got no choice. I'd got no job. For the first time in my life, I was unemployed. I didn't know what to do or what I wanted to do. Most days, I didn't want to do anything. I was out of work for about three months, and that was a revelation to me. Now, in many people's experience, that may not be a long time. For me, it was a long time. When you're missing something like work, you suddenly realize how much it means to you. It helps realign your perspective on work, because suddenly you think, oh, yeah, I want to be there, not just so I can pay the bills and not lose the house and, um, and all of that. But there's something in you. There's something that says, this isn't right. This I need to work. Actually, that helped in some ways with my attitude to work, not in every way to my attitude to work. Actually, if you are out of work and you're looking for a job, just keep faith in God because he will provide. I got back into work then through a friend. So I'd been out of the workplace. My IT career was over. I couldn't go back into IT. It all moves on too quickly. And I got back into work through a friend, a Christian friend from another church who offered me a contract to do some project management for her. And um, that was amazing, the way God provided that for me. Just superb. Um, and I am so grateful to her for thinking of me when she needed someone um, and, and getting me into that. And it was all going really well for probably six months until we heard that the boss of this project, my friend, who got me this job, had been suspended by the board. And as I said, my friend's a Christian and had done nothing wrong. But there was a power struggle on the board and she was the one that Missed, that, that caught the, the, the blunt end of that. And she was suspended and finally lost her job on the project because of this power struggle through no fault of her, her, of her own. And I'd got another friend of mine, brought him onto the project, another Christian. Um, how do we react to that? How do we as Christians then on that project react to the fact that the person who's brought us into this, the person who has brought me into work, who's saved me from just unemployment and, and, and just a terrible time that I was having, this injustice, how do I respond? The board were very involved day to day. They were in and around the, the office all the time. How do you keep a good attitude when you know that there's been an injustice done? Your friend who has helped you out enormously, has now gone through no fault of her own. How, how do you keep that right attitude? What do you do in that circumstance? You have to go back to those verses in Timothy that Paul wrote. Because you see, our good attitude, our attitude in work, will determine how people respond to the gospel. That is what Paul is saying in that. You see, surely if, if our good attitude and the good way we respond to those we work with means that the teaching of God won't be reviled, surely the opposite is true. If suddenly our attitude is wrong, then we 
run the risk of the word of God, the teaching of God, the gospel in that workplace being reviled. That's what it says. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't speak up against injustice. And we must do that. But we've got to do it the right way. We've got to do it with the right attitude. Moaning and whinging. And there was some of that that went on. I'm not perfect in this. Is not the way to do it. Actually, having a case to bring is a good way of doing it. But actually, it's really hard. We face these things every day, don't we? All the time in our workplace. And it's hard to keep the right attitude. Um, it's really hard to, to, to not then badmouth people behind their backs. It's really hard then to give praise where it's due. When you know someone's treated someone unfairly, but then they do something good, it's really hard to give them credit for that when you know what else they've done. But we need to keep doing that. We need to be the source of encouragement in the office, in our workplace, wherever that might be. When I left that place, I was thanked for my attitude and my effort because they knew that I was friends with this lady. The board knew that. And I was thanked for my attitude in that because they'd seen it, that I'd carried on doing my job. And as it turned out, those two factions on the board, it turned out that the ones we thought were the bad guys weren't the bad guys. Actually, it was the others. And so we have to be really careful who we're complaining about, who we think are not, because we don't have all the information. I said, this is, going, this is practical, isn't it? This is, this is the truth. This is the reality of where we work. We get, we're the victim of decisions. Decisions happen. Some of them we can't do anything about. And it's really hard to keep our attitude right. And sometimes we have to think, actually, I don't know all of the details behind that. I don't know what's motivating this person to make those decisions, but I know I will choose the right attitude towards them. And that will be a witness in the workplace. That will be a way that I can show them God's love. And that is a way of making sure that the gospel is not reviled in this workplace. What do we need to do then to set our attitude correctly? How do we do that? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 9, it tells us. Because our example, as in many things, as in all things, is Jesus. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 9, it says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. 
Jesus is God. He came as a servant. And actually, we go into the workplace with the attitude of a servant, with the attitude of Jesus. With humility, treating those around us as more significant than ourselves. That is really, really hard to do. It's really hard to do. But that is what we need to do. There is a real lack of humility in many jobs, many offices, many workplaces. There's an insecurity that many people carry that says, if I treat others as more significant than me, they're the ones that are going to get the promotion. They're the ones that are going to get what I deserve. They're the ones that are going to get pushed up the tree quicker and further than me. I'm doing myself out of a job here. Why? I can't do this. That is the the attitude in many places, but that's an insecurity based on not understanding who Jesus has made you. And guess what? When you treat others as more significant than yourselves, they may well get promoted ahead of you. It may happen. So what? In a way... So what? We're not called to go as far as we can in the workplace, although we may go a long way. We're called to be Christ-like. We're called to be like Jesus. We're called to treat others as more significant than ourselves. And that may mean that you don't get to the top. It may mean you don't get a pay rise. It's not nice to be passed over. It's hard to be glad for others when they get promoted ahead of us. That's really hard. But we need to come back to this passage and remember that Jesus, though he was God, became a servant. He didn't grasp after equality with God even though it was rightfully his. How many times have you seen something in the workplace that's rightfully yours and it's just gone out of your grasp? Do we run after it? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying don't have ambition. I'm not saying don't go for promotion. But we need to go with the right attitude. We need to do that with the right attitude. In fact, Jesus, in his humility, ended up on the cross. He sacrificed everything to treat us with significance. When you have that attitude in the workplace, you will change the environment. You will totally change the environment. When Jesus did this, guess what happened? Verse 9, he was highly exalted. That doesn't mean that you will necessarily be highly exalted in the workplace, but it means you'll be highly exalted by God. I think that's probably better. (laughs) Things don't always go 
as we expect. We need to keep faith that God knows what he's doing. Almost four years ago now, I'd lost what at the time was my dream job in the church. I was unemployed for the very first time in my life. My mental health as a result was not good. I submitted myself to God and I didn't get it all right. I had a grumble. I had a moan. I had a whinge. Pam's not here today, but she'd be nodding if, if she was here this morning. And now, in my workplace, I head up a quarter of the company. that I've been there for a year. I've been there for a year now. I'm on the senior leadership of the EU business. God did it. I'm not saying that's going to necessarily be what happens for you, but God did it. It wasn't me. I let I, I just I submit myself to God and God does what he wants to do. And I wanted I want him to. Because it's far better. I had no idea I'd be in this position now, loving my job, enjoying it. I have a boss who's got a faith. Timothy talks about actually being even more honouring to bosses who have a faith. And I've been promoted after 11 months of being there. It's crazy. Now, I didn't go after that. Okay, I did a presentation of how they should change the business and, and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't say, and put me here. Well, that was in my head. <laughs> but actually, if they hadn't done it, I'd still be there and I'd still be doing my job and I'd still be working hard because that's the attitude we need. That's the way we need to do it. I don't get it all right. I've given you the examples today where I've got things reasonably right. Okay? If we talked about all the times you got it wrong, we'd, you'd miss your dinner. We'd be here a long time. Okay? Yeah, I've, I've grumbled about my boss. I've grumbled, not my current one, if anybody's watching this on the live stream, obviously. You, yeah, I tell you what, I went into work, um, this was last year, and one of my colleagues came up to me and said, I enjoyed your preach the other day. I went, Whoa, what? Oh no, what did I say? What did I say? Did I say anything about work? <laughs> and he'd been listening. He's, he doesn't go to church, so Gab, if you're listening again, hi. <laughs> He'd been, I had no idea. He just looked it up on the website because he knew that I did this and watched and, and, and listened, not watched, but listened to some of the podcasts. We don't know what God's doing, do we, a lot of the time? We have no idea. And I'm kind of happy that way because sometimes you think, oh, I don't, don't want to know. Because actually sometimes he takes us through those hard times, the times where we lose our job or things aren't going well, to adjust our attitude. I couldn't do what I'm doing now here or in my workplace without God having taken me through those times of difficulty, of suffering and adjusting my attitude. I still don't get it all right, okay? I, I have whinged. But actually, then you're convicted and you say, no, I'm not going to do that. God has got this right. Because actually, if we're moaning, we're saying God's not got it quite right. How dare we? <laughs> How dare I? God has got it right. Now we go in with that attitude and we say, do you know what? If I don't get promoted, if I don't get to where I thought I was going to be, if I don't get the job I thought I was going to get, 
God has got it all in hand. We just need to approach it with the right attitude. We do our bit. God does his. And our bit is our attitude. And despite my attitude not always being right, God constantly has pulled me back, captured my gaze, and proved himself trustworthy. Time and time and time again. He is amazing. And even when on a Monday morning we don't feel the joy like we have this morning, actually when our attitude is right, we'll know his joy and his pleasure on us. We choose our attitude. God chooses our path. And then it works. I know I came up with that myself. It's good, isn't it? I'll say, I'll say it again. We choose our attitude. I love this place. We choose our attitude. God chooses our path. We need to be like him in his attitude. We need to respond to those over us well. And if you lead teams, if you're the boss, you need to lead your team well. You need to serve your team. When I my job role changed and I, I suddenly had a, a large team, I said to my team on the very first day I got them together, my job is to make sure you guys look brilliant. doesn't matter what I look like. If you guys look good, that's going to reflect, reflect well on me. But actually, my job is to make sure you guys are the best in the company. And that's 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 what we do as bosses. And yes, we have to take people aside from time to time. I'm not going to go into that just in case again. We have to. But actually, we do it well. We do it with grace. We do it serving them. We don't do it to tell them off. We do it so they can get better. It's what we do, isn't it? It's what we do. It's brilliant. I just love it. I love being a boss because it means I can help people excel. I can help people grow. I can help people achieve. It's brilliant. But that's the way we've got to look at it. Not lording it over people, but actually promoting people, even at the expense of ourselves. So we need to respond well to those over us and treat those who are under us well too. So, as Paul says in Timothy, the word of God will not be reviled. We want to make an open door to the gospel. As we go into the workplace day after day, you'll notice I haven't actually talked much about our witness verbally and, and, and that in the workplace. I'm going to be looking at that net more next Sunday. But actually our attitude is what sets us up for that. When our attitude is right, when we treat people around us right, we set up an open door, an open ear for the gospel. It is sowing seed still, but it's doing it in a different way. Our attitude speaks volume. We sow seeds with our attitude. And then when we do speak about Jesus, we're listened to. 